Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. We're going to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Verse verse number 1, we're going to look again uh, as the Lord has allowed us to look on the thought of unity in the Bible uh, through this year, we've been going consistently back to this, cha- uh, this chapter, these six verses in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, where the Lord inspired the Apostle Paul to write concerning the unity that we have through God. Uh, and he broke down seven areas in which we are one and have one thing, and one thing that will bring us together. In unity, I've often referred to these in these verses as the seven bonds of unity. But really what it is, is it's just the Lord through His Word showing us all the ways that God has brought us together. Amen. Our uh, our vision, if you will, our theme for the year, as we've hung up on the wall, dwelling together in unity. The, the vision is, as I've established through uh, preaching on that topic and and even just preaching through those verses in Psalm 133 about how that we are to dwell together in unity, that we are to be a family together, amen, that we live together in the Lord, and that we work together and strive together in the Lord, and that our desire, our vision should be that we all be in unity one with another. In this passage, in Ephesians chapter 4, we've already looked at the, the unity of the body. In the first part of verse 4, we said there is one body, and We looked at the unity of the Spirit, and the Lord gave me a a series of messages, if I could speak the English language this morning. He gave me many uh, messages on that thought of the Spirit of God, and how that God has brought us together in that Spirit, and I think it was, uh, well last Sunday was Mother's Day, wasn't it? The Sunday before that, uh, I spoke, I preached on the topic of worshiping in the Spirit. This morning we're going to move on to the next one, so let's read this passage together. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1, the Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now I preached on those three verses and how that we are to endeavor to keep the unity. Amen? Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. In fact, it's already happening in your hearts and my heart and the hearts of the people in this church. And that is whenever God tries to shine light on something amongst His people, you better believe the enemy is going to try and push back. Amen. The Bible teaches us that we war not against flesh and blood, but we're warring against something much worse than people. Amen. People are easy to deal with just in the flesh. Amen. Wouldn't it be easier, sometimes I think it'd be easier if the Lord just said, yeah, it's flesh and blood. 
And when someone was our enemy, we'd just go put a whooping on them. Amen. I know some of y'all think, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But that's not it. That's not our job. It's not our job to go put a whooping on everybody we disagree with. Amen. It's not our job to war in the flesh against everybody who is, uh, who's against God and against the church. Our war is against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that spiritual wickedness is that old devil, the same one who in the garden was there trying to undermine God, that God was trying to do something with them. And whenever God is trying to do something, the devil is going to try and keep him from doing it. Amen. The devil is going to try in your heart to mess up what God is trying to do. And so if God in our church is trying to teach us to be in unity, then how is the devil going to come at us? He's going to try to cause disunity. He's going to try to cause discord. He's going to try to get you to disagree with what's preached and what's said. And he's going to try to get you to disagree with your brother and your sister. He's going to try through emotionalism to stir you up and get you mad at this one or that one. He's going to try to to tear down the unity of the church. Amen. That's how he works. That's his whole M.O. is if he can just get a some stumbling blocks in the way of God trying to do in this congregation what God wants to do, that's exactly what he's going to do. Amen. Wouldn't it be something if while the Lord is sending messages on unity and trying to build up our church and unify us as one body and one mind and one spirit, that the devil, by getting into the people's hearts, caused them to hate each other. You know what that would do? Well, it certainly wouldn't bring us together in unity. Amen. So I wanted to give you that warning because the Bible tells us this. We are not ignorant of his devices. We know who that devil is. We know how he is. We know what he wants to do. And if we know what he wants to do and we can be prepared for him, then maybe we'll just see it when it rises and raises its ugly head. But this morning I want to look at verse number 4 again where it says, There is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. As we've looked at the unity of the body and the unity of the spirit at length, this morning I want to look at the third one that's mentioned here, which is meant to tie us together. Y'all understand that, right? One body is meant to tie us together. That we are all one body in Christ. Christ the head, and each of us members of the same body. We understand that, right? Y'all have got that established in your mind, that the hand can't say to the foot, I don't like feet, and therefore I'm not a part of the body. If you're saved, you're all part of the body, period. And there's no getting in or out of it. It is what it is, and God's made it that way. We also know we're brought together by the presence of the Holy Spirit who has brought us into newness of life and therefore made us family in God. Amen. We have one Spirit. We must worship in one Spirit. We must walk in one Spirit. Amen. And we must learn to deny the wrong spirits that come along that are trying to tear us apart. Amen. This is all part of endeavoring to keep the unity. Then he says this. He speaks of one Hope. You see that there in verse number 4? Even as you are called, in one hope of your calling. So this morning I want to look at this thought of the unity of hope. Let's pray. Father, we ask You, God, this morning, God, please, Lord, help us in this service today. 
God, I pray, Lord, that You'd fill me with Your Spirit, Lord, as I preach, God, that You'd help me, Lord, to say the things that need to be said, Lord, not to be, uh, not to be filled with any pride or, or with any anger or any, anything, Lord, that might cause me to say something amiss. God, I pray that You would just help me to say exactly what needs to be said. God, I pray that You'd help the hearts of the people here this morning, Lord, that You would open their heart to the preached Word. God, that You'd show them the need that's in their heart. And Lord, Lord, the great thing of this hope that You've given us, Lord, help us to see it clearly this morning. Help us, God, to lay aside any weight, Lord, that, that so easily besets us, and help us to lay aside any thought that might get in the way of the service this morning. And God, just please give us Your Spirit in the church today. God, we need You and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The unity of hope is a little different from the first two. Because if you've been saved, you're a part of the body of Christ. Period. There is no, there is no amount of, of not liking this or not liking that that will make you not a part of the body of Christ if you've been saved. When you, when you got saved, you became a part of the body. Doesn't matter how much of a loner you think you are. If you've been saved, you are a part of something much greater than yourself. You're a part of the body of Christ. If you've been saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He lives inside of you and He will produce in you, if you're saved, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, He may produce more in this one than that one because this one walks in the Spirit and this one does not. But if you've been saved, the Bible says we'll be known by the fruit that we bear. And that fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is inside of you, He will, even in spite of you, produce things that you could not do if you were not saved. But when it comes to one hope of your calling, a Christian could ignore this. Now, it's not to say that one day the things that we should have hope in will not come to pass because they will. If you've been saved, you'll go to heaven. If you've been saved, then the Lord's going to come back and you can't stop it. But this hope will only benefit you if you take a hold of it. Amen. The Spirit of God inside of you is going to benefit you whether you want Him to or not. He's God. How could He not? The body of Christ, you're a part of it whether you think you want to be or not, or you like this one or that one, doesn't matter. You are. But when it comes to the hope of your calling, this is something that God has laid out before us that is there for our benefit, and we should pick it up. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, the author of Hebrews is talking about something of some depth, to be honest, as he's leading through verse six, or chapter 6 and, and into chapter number 7, he begins to speak about the Lord Jesus and how that He is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We're not going to deal with all that this morning. I want to read you some verses here from Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 13. The Bible says, When God made promise to Abraham, because He could swear by no greater, He swore by Himself saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee. Multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now we talked about that uh, Wednesday night when we looked at the life of Abraham and how that he is such a great picture of prayer and of faith. And we also looked at this a few weeks back, some time ago now, I think it was on Easter, uh, when we looked at the covenant of Abraham and how that God swore by Himself instead of swearing between himself and Abraham. Uh, but when we look at these verses, we can see that the Lord is speaking about the promise of God in verse 13. Do you see that? When God made promise to Abraham 
because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Look down at verse 16. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Well, there we have an oath. We have a promise in verse 13, and then we have an oath in verse 17. Verse 18, that by two immutable things, the two immutable things are the promise of God and the oath of God. Can you see that? Can you see the promise of God in verse 13? Can you see the oath of God in verse 16 and 17? You might say, well, aren't those two the same thing? Well, no, they're not, and I'll show you here in just a second. The verse says, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Aren't you glad it's impossible for God to lie? We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay a hold upon the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. First, I want you to see the anchor of our hope. The anchor of our hope comes in verses 18 and 19. And we all know what an anchor is. An anchor is something that holds you strong, sure, and steadfast. Amen. Uh, if you're going to hang a picture on a wall, and you, you take that screw, and you, you put that screw into that wall, and it just keeps spinning, odds are you didn't hit anything it's going to hold on to. Amen. I was talking to one of my relatives last night. He was, uh, uh, he was telling me about how he was in bed the other night and was awoken by a, a wooden board about that long, about that tall with something written on it, falling off the wall behind his bed while he was asleep and landing directly onto his nose. Amen. He woke up with blood just pouring out his nose and a busted face because whatever was holding on to in there just let go. I didn't ask him if you put that screw into a stud or whatever. But, you know, you go to the Lowe's and you can buy these things and if you if you got a spot you want to hang something and you're like my wife and... It's got to be right there in the middle. I mean, perfect center, measure and tape, measure four times, perfect. And you, you put that screw in the wall, and there is no stud because your house is 100 years old, and whatever they did, it wasn't right. Amen. There's a thing you can buy at Lowe's to go in there, and you can buy them that are little, and you can buy them that are big, and they go in and they'll grab a hold, and those things are called anchors. And the purpose of those things is this, to not let go. Amen. An anchor is meant to not let you go. You're at sea, and you're being tossed to and fro, and you need to stay where you're at. You drop a big, old, heavy anchor. And the purpose is to keep you where you are and not let you go. That's what an anchor is. And the anchor of our hope is this. The promises of God and the oath of God. The significance of our hope, we see this in the anchor. That word hope used in verse number 18 uh, is a Greek word. It's elpis, meaning to anticipate, expect. It's an expectation or confidence. You see, here's the thing about the word hope. There is a big difference between the word hope being used in the Bible and the word hope being used that we, the way we use it today. 
For example, I hope it doesn't rain later. But you know what? It just might. That word hope is, man, I'm wishing that it wouldn't. And I'm hoping that it won't because I want to do this. Or I'm hoping that I don't run out of gas before I get home because the light just came on. I'm hoping that this will happen. Or I'm hoping... And when we use that word hope in our current modern day English language, that humanly hope, if you will, it is a, a, a wishing for something mixed with a tinge of doubt. I hope I don't run out of gas, but you know what? I just, I might. I'm probably using that word hope because there's a chance I'm going to run out of gas, but I'm hoping and praying that I won't. That's not what hope is in the Bible. The hope that we're reading about in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 is not, well, you know what? I, I'm not sure about the Lord and, and I'm not sure about His promises, but man, I sure do hope, fingers crossed, that He'll keep His promises. That word hope is an earnest expectation. It is looking forward to something with an earnest expectation, a patient waiting for of something that we fully expect to come. I'm not hoping it's going to happen and crossing my fingers that maybe one day, but rather I'm putting my confidence and my faith in something because it is my hope. Amen. That is what the hope is in the Bible. That's the significance of our hope. Now I want you to see the sureness of our hope. The sureness of our hope is in verses 18 and 19 we just read, where the author said that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. That when God made a promise to Abraham, and He told him, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and I'm going to multiply your seed, that Abraham put his hope in that saying, that he walked away from his home, he moved away, and everything he did from that point on was built on that hope that what the Lord told him would come to pass would, in fact, one day come to pass. That was the promise of God. And Abraham put his his faith in the promise of God when he left his foreign land and came to the place that God was going to give him. That was the promise of God. The oath of God, however, didn't take place until I believe, I think it's Genesis chapter 15, I'm not sure off the top of my head, uh, where the Lord took Abraham aside and said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And when he did that, here's what he said, I'm going to be accountable for my promise. And that's when God had him prepare the sacrifice and laid it out, and that when Abraham had the great horror come upon him, and he saw there going, walking between the pieces, the burning furnace and the lamp, and that was God saying that what I've said I'll do, I will do. Amen. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Listen, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The sureness of our hope is this. Our hope in God is sure and steadfast, as strong as an anchor, because our hope is not in earthly things. Your hope this morning cannot be in me as the pastor 
of this church. Because I'm not sure and steadfast. The Lord is. And hope and my prayer is that the Lord will establish me and keep me, and I'm trusting Him to do that. But the truth is, if you put your faith in man, you're putting your faith in the wrong place. Your hope cannot be in man. Our hope cannot be a humanly hope. Our hope must be a heavenly hope. That it is in our God that He will do what He said He would do. Amen. That if we raise our children in the truth and we give them the Word of God and we trust in God that the Bible will do exactly what God said He would do, that if you raise them up and you teach them right, when they get old, they'll not depart from it. Amen. We have to trust that if they try to walk away, that the Lord will keep them because He's the only one we can trust. We have to trust that if He said that He would never leave us and never forsake us, that when He said it, He meant it. Because God cannot lie. Amen. You know how I know I'm going to heaven? Because the Bible told me I was. Because the Bible said that if I would confess my sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. I've got to believe it. I've got to believe that where He said that if any man be in Christ, He is a new creature. That old things pass away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. I have to believe that. I have to believe by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If my faith and my hope was in my works, let me tell you, I'd have fallen out a long time ago. Because here's the thing. I can't have my hope in earthly things. I can't have my hope in what the preacher said and the promise he made me. I can't have my hope in what my wife tells me. And you can't have your hope, ladies, in what your husband tells you. And, and you can't have hope in, in this or that of, of what the government tells us. Hallelujah. The only thing that you can put your hope in is God. And the reason I believe this morning that as we look out into the world, and, and even in the world of Christianity and, and God's people, that I see so many people that seem to be without hope. It's because they put their hope in the wrong things. They put their hope in modern medicine. They put their hope in the government. They put their hope in the teachings of this one or, or in that preacher because he's just so dynamic or, or this preacher because he's just so personable or, or this or that. And, and their hope is not in Christ. The only thing that we can trust that will never break are the promises of God and the oath of God that He will do what He said He would do. And you know what the Lord did? He made us a promise. And then He made an oath that if this covenant was broken, there'd be a price to pay. And then He paid the price. He put His money where His mouth was. God, in sending His own Son to die for us, showed us that He was serious about His promises. We see the Significance of our hope is that it's not like humanly hope. Hope in the Bible is an earnest expectation that what God said will come to pass. Not, well, you know, I, I think it will, and wringing my hands and hoping, I, I hope it's going to work out. No, you can trust, you can take it to the bank. If it's in the Bible, you can trust in it. Amen. The sureness of our hope, it is immutable. That word immutable means unmovable. It means unchangeable. 
Hope maketh not ashamed is what it said there in Romans chapter 5. You know why it says our hope maketh not ashamed? Because you should never be ashamed for putting your hope in Christ because He'll never let you down. If you put your faith and your trust in what thus saith the Word of God, the Bible teaches us here in this verse that there come tribulations, troubles. You know what those tribulations are going to work in you? It tells us there that our tribulation worketh patience. That word patience. Abraham showed us that. The Bible told us in Hebrews that he died having never received the promise. That it was years and years after he died before he ever saw the promise of God come to pass. But it did. Patience. Tribulation worketh patience. And patience, patience worketh experience and experience hope. That tells us it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but if you will just hold fast to the hope of what saith the Word of God, you will see it come to pass. And when you do, you'll have no reason to be ashamed. And you look back and say, all the times people said I was crazy, and all the times that people said, what are you doing? Curse God and die like Job's wife said. And he did not. He had patience and he waited that God restored to him more than he ever had before. You know why? Because hope maketh not ashamed. Amen. The safety of our hope. Verse 18 tells us there in Hebrews chapter 6, in which it was possible God allowed, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. I see a world of people today who are seeking consolation. To be consoled. Amen. Uh, the word escapes me right now of whatever what it seems like everybody is seeking for. What they want is they want everybody, people everywhere, are looking for somebody to make them feel good about themselves. That's what they need. That's why they go on Facebook or Twitter and post, "Hey guys, I just wanted to say I'm having a really rough day. I could use some encouragement." People go on there and they post that hoping that all the people they know on Facebook and all the people they know on Twitter and all the people they know on, on Instagram or whatever it may be will all show up and give them a, hey, you're the best. I love you. You're great. You're wonderful. And they're looking for someone to pump them up and to build them up. But can I tell you that if you have your hope in Christ, you don't need that. You don't need that. You might think that you do. You might feel like you need that. And there's nothing wrong with telling somebody you love them and giving them some encouragement. We are, we should encourage one another. Amen. But I don't need to go on the internet and have people I don't know all over the world tell me how cool and how good I am. Because that's not going to help me. Because tomorrow when I get up, you know what I'm going to, you know what I'm going to remember? I'm not good. I'm not good. And I'm going to say, yeah, I can do this. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to go out and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to fail. I'm going to drop the ball. I'm going to mess up. And then I'm going to go, they're all wrong. All their, their faith in me is wrong. Their trust in me is wrong. And all the things they said about me, it's not true. And, and those people don't even really know me. They don't really care about me. I don't need to be... A, I, you know, I, need, I feel like I, I'm just, I need their approval. But the truth is, that's not going to help us. The only thing that's going to give us what we need is hope in Christ. Your fulfillment must come from God. There is no amount of approval. There's no amount of praise. There's no amount of back padding or nice things or encouragement that anyone in the world can say to you that tomorrow when you get out of bed is going to make the day worthwhile. That's going to make the next day worthwhile. 
And that when you go into that tribulation, there's no amount of, of backpatting and lifting one another up that's going to do that. That's not going to be enough. Because the tribulation is going to come. And the only thing that we can do when that tribulation comes is to reach forward and take a hold of that blessed hope that is waiting for us. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. A place of peace in the midst of a storm. Wherein lies our hope? It can only be in God. Number two, I want you to see the ascension of our hope. Let me give you this quickly. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. That's the availability of our hope. Aren't you glad that it appears unto all men? Amen. Let me submit it to you like this. If it didn't, as far as I can tell looking around in here today, I don't know if there'd be a single one of us with a pathway to heaven. Because I'm a Gentile. Are you? I'm looking around. I, I don't know. Maybe some of y'all have some Jewish heritage you could trace back and, and you've got some, some connection to the Israelites and all of that. But as far as I know, I come from something in Cherokee. I don't know what the other something was, but it's not Israel. You know what that means? As far as if it were not for this verse right here, that the salvation of God, the grace of God, the bring of salvation hath appeared unto all men, I would be without hope. Without hope. And so would you. But because of this verse, because of the availability of hope, because God sent His Son to die on the cross, so that all men everywhere, that there's no longer Jew nor Greek, but that we are all just souls in need of salvation, because of that, now we have hope. Amen. The appearing of our hope in verse, we see it said, verse 12 says this, teaching us that denying ungodliness, and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. In verse number 13, here's what he said, looking for that blessed hope the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The appearing of our hope. 1 Corinthians 2.9 said this, As it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. The Bible tells us that if we had hope in Christ only in this life, we're of all men most miserable. But we don't. We have a blessed hope. We have something that the world cannot understand. They do not understand. They will not understand. They, they, they cannot comprehend it because the carnal man cannot comprehend the things of God. He just can't. And here's that hope. The Bible calls it the blessed hope. Hope. We just read it. The blessed hope. And you know what that is? It is the appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There are people across the world, different denominations and different faiths, and this morning 
if we were to begin to discuss eschatology, there's a chance that some of you would have a different viewpoint maybe on this or that. And, and this church over here might teach premillennialism and this church teach postmillennialism. And I believe you've got to have the right one. I believe you should have the right one. But there's one thing that at least most of them agree on. Jesus is coming. Amen. He is coming. Now I think there is maybe a little bit of a contingency in our modern faith where people are starting to think, well, maybe not. But can I tell you this morning, our blessed hope is simply this. Jesus is coming. We have got to believe that. It's our hope. Our hope is the promise and the oath of God. And here's the promise of God. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in Me. I go to prepare a place for you. Where I am there, you may be also. And He said, I'm going to go, and when I go, I shall come again. I'm going to come again that I may get, I'm going to get you, I'm going to grab you, I'm going to take you with Me. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I will not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is our hope. When's the last time you thought about it? When's the last time you thought about the second coming? You thought about the rapture. You thought about the Lord coming and getting us. I'm going to tell you, every time I look at a news site, I think about the second coming. I think, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. There is coming a day when all the talking heads will shut up. Because the King of glory will step out on this land and He is going to shut their mouths. He's going to. He's going to show them what was right. And He's going to show them what is true. And He's going to set up His kingdom. Amen. That day is coming. And that should be a comfort to us. That when we look around and say, man, look at what's happening to the world. Don't worry. Jesus is coming. What are we going to do about our children? Don't worry. Trust in God. He is our hope. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. And He's going to take us with Him. Amen. And one day we will be with Him. And we will be like Him. Amen. That day is coming. The day is coming when sin will be a distant memory. The day is coming when suffering will just be, it'll be like nothing, like a vapor, just some small thing that we don't even remember. Because we have hope that one day He'll do what He said He would do and all these worries and these concerns and these, these things that, that weigh us down. Man, just put your hope in Christ. He is coming. It's the blessed hope. Here's what the verse said. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Have you ever seen so many people who have no hope? The last year, 
is very difficult for a lot of people. And regardless of what you may or may not think about COVID or the government and all that good stuff that we hear so much talk about, there are people whose lives ended because of this sickness. The people of God lost people, and the people who don't know God lost people. There's a big difference in those two different types of people. For one of them, all they experienced was loss, suffering, sorrow, whether it's COVID, cancer, whatever it may be, accidents. Good friend, uh, I've requested prayer for Brother Doug Fisher, pastor in California who had four bypasses done in his heart, and I think it was a week and a half later, suffered a massive stroke and is now in the hospital trying to recover, but it seems like he's up and then down and up and then down. And I, I, I don't know many people in, in the world as faithful or more than him. He's, I know for a fact he's done, I think, two 40-day fasts. You know, where you have to go back on baby food afterward and get yourself back. I mean, man who walks with God. And right now, he's in a hospital, and he may or may not recover from this. But I can tell you this, if he does leave this world, he will not die. He'll go to sleep. I will not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. It's a real good word that Paul uses here to speak to those that are the children of God who lay down this mortal flesh. In a sense, they just lay their bodies to rest. Shortly thereafter, a trump sounds. And when it does, the dead in Christ, that is, those which are asleep, shall rise first. When those of us who know God, when those of us who've been saved, lose loved ones. And if you live any amount of time on the earth, you're going to lose loved ones. I've experienced loss of grandparents and family members, and some have lost parents, and some have lost children, and some have lost brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. And we've all experienced this, the parting, if you will, that this mortal life brings, that of, of death. But we don't sorrow such as those who have no hope. Because for us, we know that death, the death, the passing of a believer, is just a temporary party. Amen. We have hope. And that hope is that one day, Jesus is going to do what He said He would do. He's going to return. But not just Him. He's not the only one who's going to return. But verse 14 says, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which, which also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. That those who've gone on, that we've been parted from, that we miss, and, and that our heart longs to be with them, that we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We may feel sorrow, but not as, as they do. People who suffer a loss and they can never get over it. You know why they can never get over it? Because they don't have hope in Christ. They don't have hope in Christ. We have hope in Christ that one day we will be with Him and that all those who are the children of God who come to know Him in salvation, that if they leave this life, it is only a temporary party. And one day we will be reunited with them and so 
shall we ever be with the Lord. This is the appearing of our hope. Let me give you these last points quickly. We see the after effect of our hope. And I'm talking to you about the ascension. The after effect of our hope is given to us in that verse number 12. <clears throat> he said this in verse number 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Verse 14, speaking of Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You know what that verse tells us very plainly? That if our hope is in Christ, it will reflect in the way that we live. The, uh, there, there, there are people in this world who would tell you that this is false, it's not true, but they're denying the Word of God. The Word of God says it very, 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 very plainly, very clearly here. If our hope is in Christ, then we trusting in Christ, we must look at it and understand that He will purify unto Himself a peculiar people, that we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, undying, uh, uh, denying ungodly lust. First John chapter three and verse two says this: "Beloved, now we are the son, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is." Now that's referring to the fact that when we are redeemed by Christ in His second coming. We'll be like Him. We're going to have a glorified body like His glorified body. And we're going to be sinless from that day forward the way that He is and purified and clean and holy. And what a day that will be. Amen. Well, what's the next verse say? And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. If I have the hope of Christ in me, then I want to live as pure as Christ. But that hope will cause me to want to live clean because He's clean. Amen. He's clean, and therefore I want to be clean. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. A salvation that lacks sanctification is suspect. You can tell me you're saved, but if your life is one that looks hopeless and without cleanliness and without godliness, there's something wrong. Because if you've got this hope in you, you'll purify yourself. Amen. And not only that, but we understand from 1 Peter chapter 3 that if we have that hope in us, that that hope in us will cause others to be ashamed when they don't have that hope in them. That's what it said. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed to falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Let me finish. We see the agreement of our hope. The difference in our hope, I've already stated it to you, is that we have a heavenly hope and not a humanly hope. But did you know that your heavenly hope should cause unity? Here's the thing, a humanly hope can cause division. For example, you might be at your job and the opening comes up for a position that you would love to have. Better job, better hours, better money. And your peer also wants that job. And you're both hoping that you're going to get it. But at the end of the day, only one of you is going to. And when that happens, the one who doesn't is going to feel let down. 
going to feel despondent, maybe even a little angry. They might think they deserved it more than that person did. And this humanly hope, something that we look for and wish for, it can be divisive. But the heavenly hope of Christ should only ever bring unity. Our hope in Christ is something that is sure and steadfast, and it should only make us closer. We may not agree on every little thing here, and every little thing there, but if we have our hope in Christ, well then we've got all we need to dwell together in unity. The design of our hope, let me refer you to the text verse, said this, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4 says this, Such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. That verse 5 says like this, verse 4, we trust, this trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. This morning I've made some statements that are true statements. And it's this, I'm not trustworthy. Amen. You're not trustworthy. No matter how much you want to be, there are things that can make you physically incapable of keeping your word. And sometimes those things... Are you all still with me this morning? I'm almost done. Sometimes those things are outside of your control. And sometimes it's just because you're weak. And I'm weak. But I, I'm not trustworthy. And I fail. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes when I fail God, I get so angry. I mean, more angry than I get at anything. More angry than I've ever been with my, with my wife. More angry than I've ever been with, with this one. Or more angry than I, than I ever get even, you know, just like watching the news or seeing this or hearing that. I mean, nothing makes me as angry and honestly as sick and disgusted as I am with myself when I break the promises I've made to God again. Again. And again. And you know what happens in those moments, honestly? You know what I think? I don't, I don't deserve to be a pastor. I don't deserve to be a husband. I don't deserve to have children. I don't deserve to even live. You ever thought that? God, I, don't even, I shouldn't even be alive. God, I'm so disgusting, and I'm so worthless, and I'm so vile, I don't deserve anything You've given me. And guess what? That's true. I don't deserve anything He's given me. I don't deserve to be a preacher. I don't deserve to be the pastor of this church. I don't deserve to have two children and a wife who loves the Lord. I don't deserve any of the things that God's given me. All these many gifts, I don't deserve them. I certainly don't deserve to be called. I certainly don't deserve to be used by God. So, how do I reconcile that and be of any use to God? Here's the thing. We're unworthy. 
but we're not worthless. We're unworthy. We're not worthless. Worthless means we can't be used. Amen. But guess what? We can be. But it's not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. I am not of use to God because I can play an instrument. I am not of use to God because I have a degree. I am not of use to God because of this ability or that ability or this or that. I'm of use to God because my sufficiency is of God. The only thing that makes me fit to be called, the only thing that makes my calling attainable is that I have hope in Christ. That He can make of me what He wants me to be. Without Him, I could do nothing. Without Him, I've got no power. I've got no strength. I've got no purpose. I've got nothing. My sufficiency, just like Abraham, who stood there that day as a great horror came upon him and the darkness fell as he looked forward and saw that God made a covenant with Himself on his behalf and realized, I can't do this. God's got to do it for me. So must my understanding be. Oh, the Paul, every time I fail God, I think how worthless I am. Me too. Here's what you've got to understand. Your sufficiency is of God. It's Him in you that makes you fit to be used. It's Him in me that makes me fit to be used. That's the design in our hope. He has made us sufficient by giving us His Spirit and His Son. Then I want you to see the decision in our hope. I told you, to be the part of the body of Christ, if you've been saved, you are. To be part and filled with this, having the Spirit of God inside of you, if you've been saved, you do. But I see so many people, Christians and non-Christians alike in the world, and they are all looking to something that they can put their hope in. Something to make them get out of bed in the morning and go to that job and do this and do that. Can I tell you, as a Christian, we can only have hope in Christ. Your hope cannot, listen to me, your hope cannot be in your finances. Because that could all disappear. We could wake up tomorrow and Wall Street has crashed and every dollar in your bank account is worth a fraction of what it was the day before. And suddenly you're broke and poor tomorrow. I mean, it could all change. Well, no, I've got property and I've got this and I've got that. Well, so did Job. And in one day, he lost his family, every dollar, every, every piece of livestock, his land all burn up and had nothing. Your finances, you can't trust in that. You can't. That cannot be what gets you out of bed in the morning. That cannot be what you, what you stand on because it can disappear just like that. Your hope cannot be 
in your finances. Your hope cannot even be in your family and your friends because people, people let you down. Love them, hold to them, trust them, but don't put your hope in them. They can fail you. Your hope can't be in your future plans. And, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. and I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that. And I've got plans and I've got visions. and All that can disappear. You can't put your hope in that. The only thing that we can have our hope in is Christ. That He's coming. That He'll do what He said He would do. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found. Blessed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Where's your hope? Where do you have your hope? Well, I've got my hope in Jesus, but you know, I'm just struggling. You know, it would make that a lot better if you really put your hope in Him. If you come down here and lay your finances in His hands, lay your family in His hands, and your friends, and your future, and stop trying to put your building on those things and put your faith in those things. Put your faith and your hope in Christ. And if this church could really get a hold of that, and we could really all together have our hope only in Christ, well, then we'd be in unity. Let's all stand. Miss Brandy, if you would, come to the piano. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what fear is in your heart. And I don't know what trials and tribulations and what experience you're going through, but I know this, that in Christ alone can our hope be placed. In Christ alone can we build our lives. In Christ alone can we stand. Nothing else is going to stand. No amount of good living, no amount of, of counseling, and no amount of this or that's going to help you. No amount of wealth, no amount of friendships, no amount of, of success, nothing. There's no, there's no dollar amount you can have in your bank. That when you got it, you'll finally have what you need. Just look at the wealthiest people. The wealthiest people in the world. Probably, I don't know, I ain't checked them, but definitely one of the wealthiest men in the entire world just lost his marriage. You know why? Because your finances, they're not going to solve your problems. The things of this world, it's not going to solve your problems. The only thing, the only thing we can build on and have our hope in is Christ. So where's your hope this morning? Where is your hope? 
I pray that it's in Him. I pray that He is your hope. That He is your sureness. That He is your steadfastness. I can tell you right now, the only way my marriage will last until one of us leaves this world is if the Lord holds it together. I know that. The only way my children will ever be what God wants them to be is if I build them up on the foundation of Christ and my hope is in Him. My hope's in Him. My hope's in Him that, that it'll be alright and when things are bad and things turn dark and partings take place, the only thing I can hope in is that one day He'll come back. When He does, He'll come to get me or if I'm gone on, He'll bring me back with Him. That Where He is, there we may be also. Our Father in heaven, Lord, God, I thank You, Lord, for the hope that You've given us. God, I thank You, Lord, that we can trust in You. God, I thank You, Lord, that You've given us a promise, and not just a promise, but an oath. An oath, God, that You'll do what You said You'd do. God, that You wouldn't lie, that You're incapable of lying. God, that we can put our faith and our trust and our hope and what You did at Calvary. God, that we can trust and hope that You'll return for us one day. God, that You'll walk with us. Lord, that You'll never leave us nor forsake us. God, that You will consistently, Lord, be that mediator. God, that You're there, Lord, pleading our case, Lord, the propitiation for our sins. God, Lord, that if, if we will confess our sins, God, that You're faithful and just. Lord, that You'll forgive us. God, that You'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, that that You'll walk with us, Lord. God, that if we draw nigh to You, that You'll draw nigh to us. Help us this morning to have our hope in things eternal, not in the things of the world, not in the temporal things of this earth that are going to fade away. God, we need You this morning. God, we are weak. We are unworthy. God, help us to know that our sufficiency is only of You. God, that our hope can be built on nothing but You and the blood of Christ and the blessed hope. We love You. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.